continue our study in the book of Daniel. So if we can please have God's word open us up to Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 49. And when you are there, if you could please rise for the reading of God's word. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heavens has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these." And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay." And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure." Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. 
cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over Father God, that is our prayer that your truth would prevail over unbelief. That this morning as we hear your word, we would submit to it. We would be renewed by it. We would be encouraged and challenged. Have your way in us and through us. Be magnified and edify your people, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to do a quick recap of last week since we're picking off right where we left off. And I apologize, there is no skip intro button this morning, but I'll make it quick. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter two. King Nebuchadnezzar, we're told, had dreams that kept haunting him. His sleep left him. There was this grand mystery of what this dream meant. Because this was so scary for him, because often in this time, dreams to kings uh, had something to do about the future, Nebuchadnezzar was very interested, fearfully interested in figuring out what this dream meant. They gathered all the wise men of Babylon, and we know that none of them, the sorcerers, the magicians, the Chaldeans, were able to interpret, let alone tell them what this dream was. Because the demand was not only interpret the dream, but tell me what the dream is. We're told that they weren't able to do this, so Nebuchadnezzar in his fury demanded and made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon, including their household, be rounded up and destroyed. So the chief of the king's guard goes, and when it's time to fetch Daniel and his friends, Daniel speaks with prudence and says, hold on, what's the rush? Slows it down and says, you know what, let me meet with the king. And before even knowing what the dream or the interpretation is in faith, Daniel commits a time to meet with the king so that he can tell him the dream and the interpretation. And we know from last week that God indeed in his faithfulness proves himself once more, and he reveals to Daniel, in a vision, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of that dream. And I know last week we kind of bookmarked there, and we left on a cliffhanger, but this morning we pick up right then and there. Last week, the main takeaway was that God reveals life's grand mystery through Jesus Christ, who is also the wisdom of God. In Jesus, not only is there eternal life, But in Jesus, as the wisdom of God, there is wisdom for us as we live in between two worlds. Today, we'll conclude this chapter, and we'll look at three basic points if you look up with me. We'll simply look at the dream, the interpretation, and some applications. Today's main point is that God will establish an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting kingdom through Jesus. So we'll jump into it, the dream. If you look, here's an image. Uh, You can look at this. This is just courteous of uh, Google Images that I found. Something trying to depict what we see here. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar in his dream saw this great image. This image was mighty and exceeding in brightness and it stood before him and it frightened him. So we can see kind of from the perspective of being smaller than this great picture. We're told that the head of this image was of fine gold. The chest and arms of silver, and the middle and the thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet mixed partly of iron and partly of clay. 
Daniel then continues to tell Nebuchadnezzar about this dream. He says, in this dream, not only did you see this grand statue with all these parts, but having seen this grand, fearful statue, you also saw a little stone that was not made or cut out by human hands, and this little stone struck the feet of this statue, and everything crumbled down in such a way where it just flew away in the night wind. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was indeed about future events. Daniel explains that the head represents Nebuchadnezzar, that God of heaven, by his own authority and his own wisdom, by his own sovereignty, allowed for a short time Nebuchadnezzar, and we said when we started this series that Nebuchadnezzar is simply a servant of God in a way, that the God of heaven allowed Nebuchadnezzar for a short time to rule by giving him kingdoms and authority, power, might, and glory. And so we're told that this head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar. However, after Nebuchadnezzar, the interpretation goes that there will be another kingdom and another king represented by the arms and the chest made of silver. And after that, another kingdom will come of bronze and then one of iron. And the last kingdoms will be mixed with iron and clay. We see that there is a progression here from the head made of gold all the way now down to the feet that is mixed of partly iron and of clay. So Daniel tells him that Basically, the image that you saw represents the coming future of the kingdoms of this world. They're not going to grow in more power and value and might and unity. Quite the opposite. The kingdoms of this world that is to come after you, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to decrease in power and unity and might and in value. That it's actually going to be a downward spiral into more division and destruction. And then to top it off again, he says, if that isn't hard enough to accept, there will be this little stone that is cut out that's not made by human hands, not of this kingdom, not of this realm, not of this world. It will come and it will strike the statue and it will crumble. It will crumble and all these crumbled pieces will simply be blown away in the night wind. It's a very simple and powerful illustration he gives here. And anyone at this time who understood how the agricultural system and what they did at the time work would understand right away. Right? There's this massive statue. It's made of valuable materials from the head all the way down to the toe. This little, this little stone hits it, and then we're told all these broken pieces are just going to drift away like dust. And he uses this imagery. As the workers gather the harvest, they bring all the grain to the threshing floor. And what they do is as they separate the chaff and the seed, they do it in such a way where when the evening wind blows, all the chaff, all the, all the outer layer of the grain just simply blows away to be nothing and no more. And left are the grains and the kernels that you want. And so Daniel interprets the dream. He tells him the dream. He interprets it and he says, this is what the Lord God has revealed to you, O king, so that you would know that this is what is to come. Daniel 2, 44-45 it says this, if you look up with me, and in the days of those kings, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, 
nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And the one thing that Daniel wants us to know, and the text tells us here, is that this little stone, having destroyed all the representative kingdoms of this world, this little stone will grow into a mountain that ends up filling the earth. So then what's, this, what's the interpretation? For those whose life's goal is to build their own kingdom and legacy, like Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, perhaps even that dream of building our own kingdom and legacy, is an abrupt wake-up call. A call that leaves many sleepless, unless they understand what, or better yet, who this little stone is and why it means both destruction for the earthly kingdoms, but hope for our salvation. And so you see this this beautiful imagery of progression, one of the earthly realm that goes downward into destruction and disunity, and then one of this little stone that grows like a mountain to fill the whole earth. We start to see that the kingdoms of this earth will decrease, and this little stone, this kingdom of God, will grow and increase. And it's kind of like how this song from Narnia, Prince Caspian, says, if you look up, this is what it says. Something small grows louder and louder. It started out as a feeling, which then grew into a hope, which then turned into a quiet thought, which then turned into a quiet word. And then the word grew louder and louder till it was a battle cry. What is this feeling? What is this hope? What is this quiet thought? What is the word that grows louder and louder? What or who exactly is this little stone? What does it represent? Well, if you look in Isaiah and 1 Peter, this is is what it tells us here. Isaiah 8. And he will become a sanctuary and the stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be a snare. They shall be snared and taken. Isaiah is telling us that this little stone will either be a sanctuary or an offense and a stumbling block. First Peter says something very similar if you look up. So the honor is for those who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. First Peter says the same thing. For those who believe, this little stone is a cornerstone. It's a sanctuary. But for those who do not believe, it is a stone of stumbling and offense. So without jumping to all the Bible verses, let me plainly tell you that this little stone represents Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that will come and grow and grow and grow until it fills the whole earth. It will be a kingdom that outlasts any kingdom that you and I can make or desire or even serve. And so we're told that if you believe in this little stone, if you believe in the cornerstone in Jesus, then He is the one that you can build your whole life upon. Why? Because Jesus is not just the cornerstone 
for you and I and our faith, but the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. He's the cornerstone of the kingdom of God, and he is the one that will bring in this everlasting kingdom. And with this kingdom, we will have a king, as we've heard many times before, with a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace. You see, it's a matter of perspective. Having seen this image, having heard the interpretation, if you believe in this little stone, then it's a destruction of the things that will not last and an increase in growth of everlasting things. But if you don't believe in this stone, it'll come and shatter all of our dreams, our desires, and our wants, and it'll be replaced with an everlasting kingdom. If you don't believe in Jesus, obviously all of this sounds very silly and offensive. All of this may sound something to stumble over, trip over in your journey of trying to get yours as you build up your own kingdom. But the truth still remains, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard we amass, no matter how grand and mighty we try to make our name and legacy, it will not outlast the work in the name of Jesus. We're told that when he returns, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. This, this, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, has in Daniel 2 so clearly points out the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ that when he comes, although for some it may sound silly that God will come in the flesh, although for some it sounds just offensive that he will come and destroy all the kingdoms of this earth that will never last, that could never give satisfaction, that could never give eternal life. But it says here, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, through the interpretation that Daniel gives, given to him by God himself, that Jesus will come and he will build an everlasting kingdom. And so then you and I are, are, are kind of here now in between two worlds. We're told, will we, we're asked, in fact, will we continue to build up our own kingdoms? Will we continue to serve our own desires or our own gods? Or will we find hope in this little stone that will grow and grow and grow, this little stone that will become kingdom of God that cannot be shaken, that will never disappear, that is everlasting, where all those who are in it don't have to fend for themselves, claw, fight, amass, grow, bury, and hide because they're afraid to lose it. But all those who are part of this kingdom can live freely with peace and joy. As we know, we are ruled by and protected by a king who loves, a king who loves to the point that he would lay down his own life to bring in more sons and daughters to this kingdom. That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Even if you're a Christian, it's so easy throughout the days and the weeks. It's so easy in the times where you're seeking the promotion or trying to grow and, and, and try to establish security and finances for a family to so easily slip into this mentality of, I have to build my own kingdom. I have to build my own legacy. I have to secure myself and for my family the future. But the good news is, if you believe in this little stone, if you believe in Jesus Christ, 
then you don't have to build your own kingdoms. You can come and join an everlasting kingdom. Let me ask you plainly, is your kingdom bigger? Are you a bigger king than Nebuchadnezzar? Is your kingdom better than Babylon? Is your kingdom or your name greater even than those that are probably represented in this statue of Medo Persia or Greece or Rome or perhaps even more relevant and near to us, America? Is your name greater than the rulers and the presidents and the leaders and the nations? If we're being told that these great kingdoms, these great nations, these great rulers cannot last when this little stone comes, how much more so will our little kingdoms crumble? But there's joy and good news in that, right? Because the last thing you want is to work so hard all your life to build up something that you know is not going to last. To build up something to amass and to, to put all this life and time and money and sweat and heart into something that you know when you pass away from this life, it's just going to go away just like the chaff in the summer night's wind. That's the reality of it all. Whether you believe in God or not, the reality is nothing that you can do can last forever. Nothing that we can acquire or build up can withstand time and death. But the good news is, ironically enough, the good news is that this little stone that comes to shatter all these little kingdoms not only breaks apart these types of non-lasting dreams and hopes, but it offers a better hope a better kingdom, better dreams, and better joys. In verse 3 of A Mighty Fortress, it tells us that it's not only the kingdoms of this world that this little stone will shatter, but in fact, this little stone will shatter even Satan and sin and darkness and all that is infected by it. Verse 3, if you look up, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word, one little stone shall come and give salvation, give everlasting life, give everlasting home. So then what's the application? How should we then live in light of this? Two ways I'll offer. First, if we look in verse 46, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar, having having heard this, falls on his face. He falls on his face in worship and repentance, and he confesses this. Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mystery. Perhaps we should respond likewise, having come face to face with this little stone that will become a mountain with Jesus Christ who gives salvation, that we should also come in this posture to repent and worship and confess 
He is King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, everlasting God. Repentance and confession. Second application, service and usefulness. As it concludes, verse 48 to 49 tells us this, that Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel as chief prefect and set his friends, Sidrach, Sidrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Now, it's easy to kind of skip over this and go, okay, cool, Nebuchadnezzar set up these guys that, you know, he's important, they're wise, and he just set them up. But I think there's something to be said here. As these men, as Daniel and his friends, strive to live faithfully as exiles in Babylon, as, as ones who are trying to be faithful to God, yet of service to this nation, Babylon, and the king Nebuchadnezzar, they're able to navigate in such a way by God's wisdom that not only are they able to speak to the king, but now they're given responsibilities to rule over the nation's issues. See, the overarching lesson we're trying to learn as we continue in our series in Daniels is that Christians can live in between two worlds. That we shouldn't be, dare I say, so kingdom-focused that we are of no worldly use. And we also shouldn't be so worldly-focused that we're of no kingdom use. We're not supposed to be living in a bubble as Christians. Sunday morning isn't supposed to just be categorized in our week, and then we go about living however we want. Nor do we live all in all the ways that we want, and Sundays just kind of put that aside. No, we, we, we are in the world, but not of the world as it's said so often. So the second application would be that as Christians, all of us can be of service and usefulness for God's will, for kingdom work. And one of the themes I think that keeps coming up for us as a church as we continue to grow is that we need pastors and we need missionaries, but we also need everyone. Everyone, whether you're a pastor or a missionary or anyone else. We need all of us to do kingdom work, to be faithful to the call. We need people in the king's court overseeing the providence. We need people in the marketplace, in the hospitals, in social work, in restaurants, in schools, in management, in HR, in finance, in law. We need faithful Christians living in between two worlds and you name it, in any area all over the world, carrying out God's call so that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's not easy living in between two worlds, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the solid rock. So as we conclude, friends, can I ask you to think about this dream and this interpretation is this little stone a stumbling block, an offense that simply destroys all of your dreams, leaving you with nothing? Or can you find hope in this stone that not only breaks apart all the things that will never last, but gives you a greater hope that is everlasting? Will you see this little stone, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, offered to you, something that's everlasting, all-enduring, and embracing. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, through Daniel's vision, we can see personally the ways that we have built up our own kingdoms, the ways that we have hoped in things that will not last. And we thank you that in all that, we can see Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, the little stone that comes to break apart and blow away things that were never meant to satisfy us, things that were never meant to fulfill us and give us any everlasting hope. We thank you that in him we have all those things. So God, we come to you in repentance, in worship, and in confession that you are the one true God, that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, that your kingdom is forever. And Lord, our heart's desire is that you would remind us of this for those who believe but who have forgotten. And our desire is that those who do not yet believe would consider your word and your wisdom and your mystery revealed in Jesus to come and not be stumbled or offended, but to come to the cornerstone who allows us to stand on solid ground, who allows us to build our life on the very cornerstone of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Will you encourage us, challenge us, even as we part ways this morning to go about our business and our day, that this question and this dream and this interpretation and these application would stay close to our heart, that it would be one that are on our thoughts and meditation throughout the days and weeks to come. Call us to deeper faithfulness as we live as exiles in between two worlds. Show us Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.